Imagine a football platform where the world's best writers give you the real story about what's going on at United. Imagine no pop-up ads, no clickbait headlines and no ridiculous rumours to be let down by anymore. You don't have to imagine anymore. Meet The Athletic. No ads, no nonsense, just football. Visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand to start your 30-day free trial and get 50% off your annual subscription. The Athletic, the new home of football. Before Matt Busby, there were no football managers. I was born in a small mining village. The people were brought up in a faith which was football. I had no experience as a manager. All I had was certain ideas, faith in those ideas, and faith in the club. Hello and welcome to the United We Stand podcast. I'm in, well, near enough Deansgate on Manchester's Key Street, uh, just outside the Everyman Cinema. Plenty of cars going past on a, a bit of a, a windy and wet day. Uh, it's the world premiere of Busby, the new film documentary, looking at, at, at the great man, Sir Matt Busby, from the same team that produced The Class of 92, the film that did pretty well in a, a, a few years ago. Tells the story of, of Sir Matt's humble beginnings in a small Scottish mining village to twice rebuilding a football club, first ravaged by war and then by the tragedy of the Munich Air disaster. Busby claims to be the definitive story of the founding father of modern Manchester United. We should be able to talk to plenty of ex-Reds and current ones too um, in the red carpet area of this premiere at the Everyman. It's, uh, Busby's a fantastic film. I've seen it a couple of times already. The unseen footage is, is breathtaking, to be fair. There's a lovely clip. If you watch the film, you see it of a, a young Matt, as he was then, as a city player even, um, smoking a cigar, looking very cool, on top of a, an open-top bus after City have won either the Cup or the League, I can't remember which, in the, in the 1930s. The, the footage and the, and the colorization of, of the European Cup file in 1968 is, is spine-tingling, and the 10 years, the story of the 10 years between 58, the Munich air crash, and 68, United's first European Cup glory, is, as always, emotional, poignant, um, and, and absolutely a fantastic watch. So hopefully we'll be hearing from uh, a few people involved in the, in the film, which is directed by Joe Perlman and produced by Daniel Harris and uh, a few of the stars of the film, if you can call them them. The, the interviewees, people like Jimmy Murphy Jr., Willie Morgan, and there should be a few famous United faces there as well that we'll chat to for the United We Stand podcast. I've got Willie Morgan with me, who's uh, had a, a long, famous history for Manchester United, and I assume you're looking forward to watching the Busby film today. What are your memories of the of the great man? Uh, he was simply the greatest manager that ever lived, and apart from that, the ultimate gentleman. And it was like playing for your dad. No one ever swore in front of him. <laughs> he was just, he was just very, very special. You know, I spent a lot of time with him playing golf. We played a lot of golf together. Yeah. And uh, his whole family. Just everything about him is very special. And when you're, when you're playing golf with him in those days, what kind of things would, would he talk about? Was it always away from the football? or yes. was Always away from football. Never talk about football. Just anything and everything other than football. <laughs> so, but we played a lot of golf. We spent many, many years playing together. And we had a regular four ball down at the Mere. We played at the Mere, we were both members there. Um, and then we, we had holiday places together in Tenerife, in Los Cristianos. So we used to go there with the families, so we became you know, close family friends. 
And the, the, I've seen this film a couple of times. The great thing about it is the unseen footage for young United fans like me. I've not seen it, though. But there'll be a lot of things here that myself and Paddy and Dennis, no one will have seen. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Be, he, be, he, was, he is Manchester United. He created the myth. And that will never go away now. I'll let you get on in it and get hey, a drink listen, watch the film. Lovely to meet you. Meet you. Take care. Right, I'm just going to see if we can get a word with Daniel Harris, um, author on the on the Guardian, author of a, a number of United books and uh, producer of some sort on the on the Busby film itself. So let's see if we can grab him. All right, yeah, how's it going? Um, what's your official title on the film? Because you seem to be doing a lot. <laughs> I was one of the creative producers, which in the con- could mean anything. Yeah. Like I, I did, did the interviews with the people that are in the film and uh, sat with the director and the editor and the edit and when we put the film together. And as a United fan yourself, the, the experience of Jamie Murphy Jr., John Ashton Jr., uh, so, so many people must have been a, a pretty special one. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an honour, really. It was an honour, a privilege, all of those stuff that people say and they don't really mean. And in a lot of ways, it was actually really moving in that I was interviewing people that my dad watched play for United and people that my granddad watched play for United. And um, particularly, like, the one that really got me, actually, was Dennis Law. Dennis Law was my dad's hero. And, so, and it was also one of those people, like, the ability to be able to score a goal for City that might have meant the United got relegated and still be regarded as a hero by everyone to do with both clubs is ridiculous and you can just the kind of bloke that Dennis Law is like it just totally radiates out of every pore of his being and uh, to be able to sit down with him talk about United was a was a thrill and I, I found it quite emotional actually yeah. and then the, I think the, I've watched it a couple of times the thing that makes it special is the unseen footage is while you've got the People like Dennis Law talking over the top of it. You've got clips of like Samat with a cigar in his mouth and that while he's playing for City as a kid in Manchester. That's how how did you go about researching that, collating that, and I think it gives the film something new. Uh, yeah, we just you basically sit down and think about who might have footage, and then you go around and try and find as much footage as you possibly can, and then sit down and think what do we think people have what sometimes people tell you no one's seen this so you're like right we'll try and get that in and otherwise you think what do i think people haven't seen so you're looking for that kind of thing things that people haven't seen i guess and uh yeah i mean matt matt, matt looking cool in a cigar is actually not that hard to find because he was an extremely cool motherfucker yeah. but um when you find something that people haven't seen obviously like i guess people that are into science and stuff like that when, when they sit in labs, that is basically what they spend their life trying to do, find something that people haven't seen. And what we're trying to do is find some footage that people haven't seen and then hopefully try and tell the story in a slightly different way to how it's been told before. And after finishing the film, I mean, this is a great night for everyone involved, including yourself, but after finishing it, what's your opinion of, of Samat Busby as a, as a character, not just a, a football manager? He's an enigma, he's an enigma Samat. What is mad about Matt is I've never... I mean, if you, you interview quite a lot of people in the course of your job and... I've never heard anyone speak about anyone the way every single person speaks about Samat. So you ask people, what would, what would he have been if he hadn't been a football manager? You get the Pope, the Prime Minister. What faults did Samat Busby have? None that I can think of. And I asked this question to maybe 10, 15 people, and no one had anything bad to say about Matt. And so what's quite interesting is that he was obviously a bloke, so he had some faults, but 
what's interesting is the way that he went about hiding them from everyone, more or less. Apart from when I mean, it comes out in the film, people say, yeah, he was tight, didn't like playing players. But that aside, no one really had anything to say about him because he showed such great concern for everyone. And so when you're kind of making the film, it feels like you're almost making a hagiography because this can't be real, except it is real. And you've heard the stories, but not until I actually sat down with Wilf McGuinness, Paddy Crera, and Alex Stepney. And Wilf McGuinness has got plenty of reasons not to like Matt, but he, didn't fight, he, he doesn't have them. And it reminded me a bit of Fergie, really, because Fergie, who's, I mean, his bad qualities are obviously better known and more obvious. But apart from Roy Keane, every player has come crawling back in the end because there's something about his magnetism that people just have to be near. And Matt's magnetism is actually kind of different to Fergie's. I mean, that sounds like a ludicrous thing to say because I'm saying it like I know them, and I don't. But Matt had this, by every account, had a more quiet kind of charisma. With Ferg, it's like, well, you just need to watch him on TV for five minutes, and you think, I get it. Matt, Matt's presence was slightly different, I think, because he wasn't a ranter and a raver, but what he did do, was similar to what Fergie did, was he showed concern for everyone that he knew. He remembered details about people that people love, and everyone and everyone loved him and then he also brought joy to the people and he never lost sight of his duty to do that to bring joy to the people and uh, you people forgive a lot of stuff for someone who brings them joy and he brought people joy and lastly before i let you go get a drink you seem to have done about 15 interviews so far but there's i think there's a i love the film a huge amount but i think there's a there's a definite focus on busby himself and not much on kind of the secondary characters of, of jimmy murphy of maybe Joe Armstrong, the scout in the 50s. Was that a deliberate thing to hone in on, on Sir Matt's character himself and, and his life rather than anyone else's? Sort of. I guess it's a biopic, so it has to focus on one person, on the person who, it, who you're talking about. But you're also hampered when most of the people that you would speak to or would be in the film are dead. Yeah. And um, it's, so, so you, it's hard to speak to someone like... Yeah, yeah, fuck off. Um, so, you, with, um, so with someone like Jimmy Murphy, like Jimmy Murphy Jr. is one of my favourite characters in the film. He's amazing. And Jimmy Murphy is another story. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to give as much weight as you can to the things that are interesting about the story but that don't detract from the story themselves. So let's say, let's say you're talking about Matt's dark side. So you do a little bit about Matt's dark side, and that's in the film, but you could do more. And people, Some people have said they'd like there to be more, and I understand that. But at the same time, you're thinking relative to Matt Busby's story, what proportion of his story is about that thing? So what proportion of Matt Busby's story is about Jimmy Murphy? And some of it is, I don't know, I'm not going to give you a percent, but hopefully, roughly, the amount of Matt's story, that Matt's personal story is to do with Jimmy is the amount of time Jimmy gets in the film. And that's not to say that like, Jimmy Murphy saved Manchester United. I mean, he's a hero. There should be a statue of him outside Old Trafford. There should be roads named after him. There should be planets named after him. But if you're making a 90-minute-ish film, whatever it is, a, a film about Sir Matt, then Jimmy's story is a part of that, not a parallel to that. And similarly, Joe Armstrong, and not just Joe Armstrong, there were so many people, like, there's so much great stuff I love people to see that, that we have that we couldn't see because yeah, in the end, you're a slave to what the story is and the story, that you, the story that you're trying to tell, but also the story that the stuff that you get tells you you have to tell. So I would love to, I watch a film about Jimmy Murphy, but... It would have to be a film about Jimmy Murphy, not a film about, about Matt Busby, I guess. I guess it's going to have to be, be down to you to make Jimmy Murphy's film as well, then. I would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right, thank you very much. Just really appreciate it. All right.
Uh, Roy Kavanagh, lovely to, to meet you. I've, I've spoken to you over the years, but um, you're at the Busby premiere and excited about watching the film later, I assume. Very much so, yeah. I'm glad to meet you, Ali. Glad that you got back from your travels all around all around the world to come back to Manchester, great. Have you, have you, managed to, have you seen the film yet, or is this the first time? No, no, I, I, was, um, I was involved in it, actually. I was interviewed for about two hours, so I'd be interested in how many seconds do actually come on the film. And, uh, but I also had a, an original tape from 1983 when I interviewed Matt Busby, and they were going to use it, but it was on an old TDK tape, and it, you could hear the clock ticking in his office, tick, tick, so it's not quite up to this... Uh, Standard, so. I've, I've seen the film a couple of times. You make uh, you make a few appearances. Yeah, you'll you'll be waiting throughout the film. But it's um, there's some there's some breathtaking old footage, um, and I guess it's for a chance for a lot of United fans who haven't seen that kind of stuff in the past. It's it's something new. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, because obviously you're the the author or co-author of the. the with the, the latest biography about Johnny Kerry, and I assume working on that, you must have found so many tales about Busby and, uh, and his character. Yeah, well, I actually, as I say, I met him two or three times, and um, uh, he was like everyone's favourite grandfather. Yeah. Hey, you all right, Roy? Never forgot a face. His um, memories of scores, it, you know, I, I met him the first time, and then a month after, I goes into a room, big room, and I was on my own, and he walked past and he said, hey, Roy. And I'm thinking, no, that's a wind-up, that. But then he'd say things like, oh, we played Sheffield Wednesday away and Bobby scored a hat-trick and we won 4-2. And I knew we hadn't won 4-2 at Sheffield Wednesday, but yeah. I thought, no. If Matt thinks it's 4-2 and Bobby got a hat-trick, that's good enough for me. <laughs> but for my hero, of course, he was an um, absolute star, absolute star. And the man who was, through my, from 1954 was the, the man who made Manchester United. Although Jimmy Murphy should never be forgotten. Yeah, and, and growing up as a kid watching United, you must have been going to Old Trafford in, in what would be a very different stadium to what it was now, but Busby's United team, I guess in a, in a period where just post-war, it was not, not the best of times for Britain when the rationing's still in, but Busby's United team must have been the, the release for so many Mancunians. I, I was seven in 1954, when I first saw them, and I went quite regular. I saw the last home game before Munich, not that, not the game at Arsenal. The last time they played at Old Trafford, when they played Ipswich in the cup, and they were they were your life. I, in those days, the examination was an eleven plus, and I failed me eleven plus because all I could think of was Wood, Folksburn, Coleman, Jones, Edwards, Berry, Whelan, Taylor, Violet, and Peg. I can remember that, but English, maths, geography, oh, can't remember that much as much as you remember the United team. I've just spotted Jimmy Murphy Jr. So we should be able to bring him over in a second. I think Daniel Harris is bring him over to, to speak to us and Wolf McGuinness and, and Paul McGuinness, former United under 18s manager, and Wolf McGuinness, ex United manager himself, are, are with Jimmy Murphy Jr. So let's see if we can get a word with it. At least one of them. I think one of them. I think the McGuinnesses look like they're heading towards the bar. So. <laughs> we appreciate the support of our sponsors, including Harry's. Harry's story is that for decades, one big razor company relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. 
So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary lads who were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's Tiffic Shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. They're amazing quality blades, a half the price of the leading five blade brand. Well, what do you get with Harry's? Harry's razors include everything you need for a close shave. You get a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich shave gel and a travel blade cover. We've got an offer for United We Stand listeners where you can get started shaving with Harry's today and claim a trial set for just £3.95. So you can support our podcast, get your trial set delivered to you, including the razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash united right now. That's harrys.com forward slash united. Hi, Jimmy. From Harry. Right. Yeah, pleasure to meet you. Get a um, proper job. <laughs> thank you. Um, the, have you have you managed to see the film yet? No, no. I've got a, a cop- I've got a copy at home, but I can't work the machine. So <laughs> I didn't get it out the envelope. It's a great watch. You'll enjoy it tonight. And I mean, you pop up a few times. Um, it's. Uh, I think what's amazing about it for someone like me who, who didn't live through Busby has only lived through the, the Ferguson years at United and now this is the, the unseen footage of, of the time uh, as a United fan and, and what United was then. Can you give us an idea of, of what it was like to watch United then when, you, when your dad was involved and then you well, later on? The big problem is there isn't enough footage. Yeah. I mean, someone like Duncan Edwards, you can get a couple of snippets. He's by far the best player I've ever seen in my life. And to see him playing for the under-18s when he was playing for the first team, that wouldn't happen now. Yeah. They wouldn't let a first-team player play for the youth team. And he was a sort of player, he was a number six in modern terms, but if they were short of players, he'd play number 10 or number nine, and Wilf, who's just passed, would fill in at yeah. number six. He was that sort of player. And I've just put a quote into a, another, another article I'm doing. And I remember Matt saying he could have stayed in his office for the next 10 years. That's what the production line was like. Yeah. I mean, Nobby Styles and Johnny Giles were the next on the list after Munich. Uh, Nobby was 15 because he's the same age as me. And Johnny was 16. And they were into the youth team the, you know, the following year. So it was brilliant. I loved watching them. Coleman and Edwards, Billy Whelan, Wilf McGuinness. Different type of player, Wilf. Yeah. But Wilf was always a leader. Captain of Manchester boys, captain of Lancashire boys, captain of England boys, and uh, a great, great guy, Will. Yeah. And you, you young lads, you, you don't really realise what you've missed. Yeah. It's like seeing a successful youth team that we had a few years ago when Pogba was playing. Yeah. I saw that for five years on the run. <laughs> one, the, one, the, yeah. five years on the run with Bobby and and all the others. All and the then others, yeah, Duncan and Wilf and Billy Whelan. And as a kid, with your dad working with Sir Matt, what, what are your memories of, of Sir Matt Busby when you were growing up? What was well, he like as a character to well, you? I would say that growing up, I never saw Matt Busby because I'd get up in the morning and go to school or college yeah. and he'd go to yeah. train with the boys. My father never drove, 
So his dad used to pick him up, Johnny Aston's dad yeah. used to pick him up, or Bert Wally, my father's partner, yeah. who died in his place on the plane. And that's what people don't realise. My father had to go to funerals of all these people that he knew. I mean, he worked with Bert six days a week for 10 years. Yeah. He sat on the plane with Matt and died. And my father must have been... I don't know how he coped with it, but he did, because a very strong character. And the, the time around after, after the Munich air crash in 58, as a, as a family, not just for your dad, what was that like? Well, it family, must have been relentless. Yeah, as a family, it was horrendous, because we used to switch the phone off, because it, it wouldn't stop ringing. And this is why Dad and the club decided to take all the players to Blackpool, so they'd be away from this melee in Manchester. So obviously, if my father's in Blackpool, and I, I never saw him. In fact, we rarely saw him during the week. He always got the family breakfast. My mother stayed in bed. Six children, a big family. And then my father would buzz off to wherever he was going to do some coaching because he used to, used to use different grounds. The first team trained at Old Trafford. The reserves and the others trained Manchester Ship Canal Ground, Manchester University, everywhere. And then... I'd probably be in bed when my father came home yeah. because two nights a week Tuesday, Thursday he'd take people who were working because they couldn't sign pro till they were 17 so Bobby and Will from these people they'd have a job during the day so my dad only got them Tuesday night and Thursday night yeah. different times to now where they get them every day yeah. and I think yeah, you mentioned your, your mum there I think it's, it's not really a story that's ever been told about the, the other side, the, the wives of the of the United players and, and coach and stuff at that time. What was it like for your mum? And she was a saint. Yeah. I'll just explain. It's uh, we're talking about World War Two here. Yeah. I was born in Jul July 1942. You right? You with it? When I was born, my father was on a troop ship in the Mediterranean, and he landed in Egypt about three weeks after I was born, and my mother was in West Bromwich with three children under the age of seven. When I was born, four children under the age of seven. And I was three and a half before I saw my dad. So my mother brought up a family of four on her own for three and a half years. And then he came home in January, February 1946 and left for Manchester in May and left us all behind again for two years. Yeah. So that's my mother. She was a saint. My dad was here at home. My mother was a saint. <laughs> It's a, it's a good set of parents to have. Oh, yeah. And you'll enjoy the film today, but your, your memories of, of 68, because the, 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 the crux of the film is from 58 to 68. Yeah. My, my memories of 68 was it was hot. Yeah. Uh, we drove down. My wife drove all the way to Watford. I was with my best friend and his wife. And I'll give him a mention now. It, Brian Blackburn, and he used to play in the A-team with George Best. And Barry Fry. Remember Barry Fry? This both of people. Never made it as a pro. And the four of us went down to, uh, to London and then drove back the same night. Same night. I got up, bought all the newspapers I could, and then I went to work. And I had a job where I could come home whenever I wanted. So I came home. My wife was expecting me to come home later, and she didn't know I was asleep in bed. <laughs> but it was a fabulous, fabulous night, and... Uh, it was upsetting as well, because you thought of all the players who died, who should have been there. Because without doubt, with Edwards in the team, and Coleman, and Billy Whelan, Tommy Taylor, and Roger Byrne, 
United would have won the European Cup. They were, they were on the way there. My father is famous for saying they would have won the boat race as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the, strength, the strength of Duncan Edwards, he, he probably would have. One, wonderful player, wonderful player. Right, I better let you go. I'm mean, told right. to, to allow you to shift on. Have a great evening. All right. Mike Fielder and Mike Carrick have just turned up on the on the red carpet, getting a few a few pictures, snaps, and uh, flashing lights going off in front of the the Busby paraphernalia, if you can call it. So we'll, uh, we should be speaking to Carrick and Fielder both shortly in just a second, and we'll wait for them to make their way through the, the photographers and, and a couple of other people and ask their friends for before they come and speak to us. You dress very smartly normally, uh, the, the shorts brigade is not out today. <laughs> yeah, no, no game, no training today, so uh, we can dress down a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've seen the film a couple of times. I know you'll be watching it for the first time tonight. I just overheard that there, but it's uh, the, the unseen footage of it is great. As a kid watching United, you must have been five or six when they won the, the European Cup. What are your memories of, of that time? Well, vaguely, I remember certain things, you know, because deep down, you know, I, I, I was a Burnley supporter, believe it or not. But I'm from that area. I played there. But when you join a football club like this as a player. Uh, it's immense, you know, you do realise, you know, once you come into the football club, the traditions, the history, the whole shebang really is, uh, is just overwhelming. But then you have to realise that you're part of something special and you have to carry on those traditions and there is a responsibility with that. So wearing the red shirt has always been a privilege and to be able to coach there and to, to help uh, in the making of, of some of these players is a real, real honour. And when you first arrived at United as a player, is there any kind of, is it, is it a natural kind of process of, of learning the, the history of the club or is there something more than that? No, I think you, you know what Manchester United are. You, you definitely have a, a feeling of the specialness of the place, the tradition of the place. It's only once you get involved in it that you realise the enormity of it. And that enormity does come with a lot of responsibility and, and, and something that you have to embrace. You have to enjoy being at Manchester United. If you don't enjoy being at Manchester United, it can consume you, you know. And, uh, and, and I think most players, you know, they live and die by what they do on the football field, but they work because they feel privileged to be part of something special, and, and Manchester United has always been special. And what do you think, having worked with Fergie as a, as a player, then as a, a coach, and then now with Ollie as a coach as well, what's the impact of Busby, Murphy, all of those individuals at the time on the club as it is today? Well, that's what it is today. You know, Manchester United is about Busby and Murphy and Ferguson and, and a few other people along the way. You know, there has been a lot of background staff in that right the way through the academy. Well, it wasn't academy systems then, but now it's academy systems. But there's been some tremendous people involved with Manchester United. Some are still there, some are not. But they've all contributed enormously. And the list is, is, is too long to mention everybody. But there's a lot of goodwill at Manchester United, a lot of good people who embrace it. I mean, we could talk about Kath, who's worked there, you know, 50 years or more. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then there's been Paul McGuinness before that, who was part of the academy. And then there's been other people there. Brian McClare, ex-player. You know, these types of people really embrace what Manchester United is all about. And that is why we're at this evening tonight, because we are... At this moment in time, it's about some at Busby. It could be about somebody else yeah. in, you know, in, 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 in the future. 
And I guess even when United are having bad spells at the moment, it's been five recent wins, so everyone's happy at the moment. But in those bad spells, I guess it's, uh, it's worth remembering those little things, people like Cass, people like the, the people who have been there for, for decades. Yeah, but our bad spells are a game, aren't they? It's yeah. like you, you lose a game, it's a bad spell. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any other club goes through that type of, <laughs> that type of emotion. But, yeah. but we know exactly the capabilities of every player at the at the football club. Every player wants to play for Manchester United, I do believe that. Um, and when they do, they really embrace the enormity of the football club. At the moment, we're playing a lot of young players. It's starting to show itself again. And, and Oli is being brave now in, in, in giving the, the, those players the opportunity and blending that with some senior players at the football club. So, yeah, we know we've got a, we've got a difficult task, but it's a great task. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to spend it at Manchester United to try and achieve something? I've been fortunate enough to have to have had some great moments at Manchester United, and believe you me, I'm the same as Ollie. I want to do it all over again, yeah. and why can't we? It's a magnificent football club. And you mentioned the young players there. I guess that's one of the, the big goals this season is people like Dan James, who you probably wouldn't have expected to be having such a good start to his United career already. Well, you see those young players now. You know, there's there's plenty of them. I can't understand and I, I, I will never understand why a young player does not want to play for Manchester United because Manchester United gives you that opportunity. And once you're there, whether you're in the academy or whether you're just breaking through into the first team, I think it's really important that you stay and you embrace it and really find out whether you've got the mentality, whether you've got the, uh, the approach to, to, to playing for Manchester United. Because everybody wants to see young kids being successful. I think every supporter out there can really embrace that and really wants to get off the seats now. You know, they're all seated stadiums, but they want to stand up. Yeah. And they want to be excited by people like Dan James and Marcus Rashford and, and, and many more. Hopefully Greenwood would do that. Brandon Williams now, is, you know, he's just broke in. But how exciting is that? And they're just a few to mention. There's others, Chong and certainly Gomez, all these kids that really should be pushing to break through because the moment is now. The moment is now to, to embrace Manchester United and break into that first team. You mentioned Gomez. Uh, I know he's been injured the last couple of weeks, but the plan is to start pushing him in a bit more over once he gets back. Well, they've all these, you know, there's Jimmy Gardner, and, and these are just the ones that have been on the peripheries, you know, this season. They went on pre but there's others underneath. Yeah. Okay, you know, we're talking about 16, 17 year olds who probably need a bit more maturity, but they're there. And whilst they see people like Greenwood and, and Brandon breaking in, surely they, they want to be the next one. And I think Ollie like I say, is being really brave, really courageous at giving them that opportunity. And as long as they perform and they play with a smile on the face and they make the supporters happy, then I think you can, you can go as far as you want. Finally, before I let you go, get a, get a drink before the film. You mentioned the supporters there. I was, in the, I was just above the tunnel on Thursday night and I saw you come over and do this at the very end of the yeah, game. Yeah, the noise was terrific. I think it's really important. I've, I've really enjoyed it, you know, the... The actual singing side of it, I think it's been really encouraging uh, during a game. And, you know, I can hear it. I'm sure the players respond to it. It was the same again yesterday, you know, in the, in, in the corner of the Stretford end there. It's terrific. And it does, it does make you feel part of something, you know, and it's appreciated by everybody. And, and it's going to play a vital part, you know, going forward for the club because young players need to understand that. They need to understand what it means to supporters. Senior players need to feel that, like they've never felt it before. And, uh, and it still gives me, you know, as you walk out of that tunnel, it still gives me a little, for the little hair I've got on my head, it still stands up now and again when I, when I, when I feel matched it.
great to hear. I'll pass it on to the to the people behind the, the singing. When you when you first came to United from Spurs all those years ago, now it is. How how quickly did the the history of the club hit you? Straight away, um, it's hard to it's hard to explain really. I I, I knew I knew um, the, this place was massive, you know, before I came, and I knew the, a bit of the history. And um, you know, obviously Munich um, knew about Samat. My dad's favourite player was George Best, so I kind of had watched a fair bit of uh, the footage over the years. But until you actually get here and. Um, kind of hits you in a way in a, in a strange way that it's not about it's not just about the footage or the videos or the pictures on the wall or the, the quotes that are the obvious things that you do see it's kind of there's a feeling around the place and it, all the corridors if you like and it's just deeply ingrained it's, it's just it's, it's pretty special you know it's I mean, it's not a normal football club that you just walk into and it's about who we're playing on a weekend you know it's it's a way of life so um, straight away as a player you, you, you're well aware of that and um you got lads that came from all around the world and they, they speak about it. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a privileged position to be in. And I guess even in the, in the bad spells for United, it's been a good one in the, in the last five games, but even in the bad ones, it's worth remembering that, that history and that special feeling of the club. Yeah, of course. And listen, you can't, you can't no, team in, no team in the history of football has, has, has won every game and won every league or won every trophy. So, um, and you've got to be humble enough to kind of accept it and, and, and uh, be willing to improve. Um, and we've always, since I've been here, when we've had good times or bad times, you've always, you've always had that sense of we'll be all right, you know, we'll be all right if we keep doing the things right, we'll be all right. The support of the fans has been absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah, there's been some times over the last few years where football at times hasn't been great, and I've probably been part of that. But the, the support's never wavered, and if anything, it's intensified. It's almost to say like we're right behind you. And, um, as a player and obviously now as a coach that, that, that you can't really put into words how kind of special that is so um, in, in some ways it just makes you even more kind of determined to, to try and win things again um, which hopefully we will and I'm sure we will soon um, it's, you can't beat winning trophies you know um, but as I say you can't, you can't do it all the time no team has and it's just about to get putting things in process and putting things in place and, and just keep believing in the right things which we are and believe in the young lads believe in youth you can't always you can't have a full team of kids but you, you, you definitely want to give them a chance and play exciting football which, which everyone wants to see and as a as a veteran player is, is uh, the term given to to the elder midfielders these days and then now a coach you must have spent the last five years looking down to those young players and to see them come through now what, what kind of advice have, have you given to people like Angel and, and Scott and, and Ethan Galbraith for all these ones are Dylan Levitt about to come through yeah I've, I've since I got probably to my late 20s uh, you know you, you, listen I was a kid once you know I came through and I was I had good senior lads above me who helped me a lot um, so I've always been trying to want stick an eye out and keep an eye out for the young lads and help them a little bit um, and fortunately now we, you know we have got some real real talented young lads um, and you're just trying to help them as best as you can you know it's some some of them take the chance and, and go on and, and uh, to the next level and, and, and not everyone can do that so it's um, but when you do see it and you give them a chance and they, and they take it it's, it's pretty special so um, at the moment yeah there's, there's lads getting the chance I'm sure there'll be a few more getting the chance in, in months to come and, and years to come and it's just about keeping that rolling on I was speaking to Mick Feeling earlier and he said that the, the mood of the, of the coaching staff at the moment is still pretty positive and I think you're separated from the fans, you're not as up and down and, and that must be 
probably pretty helpful at times this season. Yeah, you've got to be. You know, we've got you've got to understand the, the bigger picture, and uh, it's easy to get to get too carried away with, with with the game of the weekend, for instance. You can get so excited with it, but actually, you can go the other way as well with the defeat. But it's important that you, you kind of stick to your principles, you know, and and it goes back to what this club stands for. So that's our principles, and it makes it easier when you got kind of them, that ingrained in the club to to go back on, and we'll stick by it, and surely it'll come good. I've left the, the plush, red-carpeted, everyman cinema now in the, in the puddled Manchester, which is still pretty cold, standing by the, the great Northern Railway Company's old warehouse. Busby, again, a, an absolutely fantastic film, must-watch for United fans. And they, they, you, can have, you can have criticisms of it, you can say what wasn't included, you can, you can ask for more from it. Um, I, I certainly would in some areas that I'll talk about in a second, but as a film, it's, it's 90 minutes that you kind of have to watch because it's, it's fascinating, the unseen footage is, is brilliant. Um, there's an enormous breadth of it going from the 1930s all the way to the 60s and 70s. It's, a, it's an incredible life of, of Sir Matt Busby brought to, brought to life in a, in a breathtaking manner, and it's a tearjerk, obviously, because of the, the nature of, of Sir Matt's story and career, but it makes you smile and it makes you remember what makes Manchester United so great. And we heard Michael Carrick, McFeelan, uh, Jimmy Murphy Jr. talking about what makes Manchester United great. And this film is a, a reminder of it. And hopefully those interviews were as well. It comes out on, uh, on digital November the 15th and then on Blu-ray and DVD November the 18th. I assume it'll be pretty widely shown as well. Um, it's, I particularly love the, the, the clips of, of a young Matt while playing at City, the cigarette in mouth, as I, as I mentioned, and, and the smiling with a, with a pre-war youth um, and no story can, can beat the, the rise from the ashes of Matt Busby and United and any opportunity to, to listen to the, the husky growl of a Lanarkshire accent from Sir Matt Busby is not to miss. It's the kind that would convince you to go on to do anything, as it, as it did for some of the players that, that we heard from then. And as a film, I think it doesn't look at the, the periphery figures. They're not even periphery figures. They're, they're key figures in the story of Matt Busby. It doesn't look at Jimmy Murphy... In, in the way that I perhaps would have liked. It doesn't look at Chief Scout Joe Armstrong or Louis Rocker who helped to bring Busby to the club or the investment of, of James W. Gibson, the chairman, or many others that, that followed those individuals in, in helping Busby to achieve what he did at, at Manchester United and establish the club as what it is today. But it's about Sir Matt Busby, so it focuses on Busby, and that's what producer Daniel Harris told us uh, while we were talking to him before the, the showing of the film there. So... It's understandable. As as for uh, a, a film overall, it's it's a must watch. <laughs>